0: Yeah, for me, it was kind of more of an opposite process where I took the top 20 schools and then just eliminated all the schools that I didn't want to go to.
1: Hey, college kids, welcome back to my podcast. Who cares about college? In today's episode, I'll be interviewing Kate. So Kate, could you please introduce yourself?
0: Yeah. Hey, everyone. My name is Kate. I'm originally from Seattle. I just graduated from Duke University class of 2021. I graduated a little bit early um, and I studied computer science with a certificate in innovation and entrepreneurship.
1: Okay. So, Kate, can you take us to back to like middle school, high school, whatever this was for you? Can you explain the relationship between education and between education and your family? So how important was it for you and your family to receive a good education?
0: Yeah. So I am the child of immigrants. Both my parents um, came from China and they both got bachelor's degrees in China as well before they came here. Um, My mom also got a master's degree in the U.S. And so both my parents have higher education. Um, Education was really important growing up. Um, It was like ever since middle school, it's like, okay, I started thinking about college. Where do you want to go? What do you want to study? Um, and my brother who's four years older than me, he went to Cornell. And so that was always something, um, that was kind of on my mind growing up is, okay, where do I want to go? What do I want to study? And kind of how does, how like education was just very important in my life.
1: And your brother going to a top tier school, how did that, I guess, enhance or reinforce the, the pressure on you to also go to a top tier school, or at least like try your hardest in high school to do so?
0: Yeah. So my brother, so he's four years older than me. So when he was in the middle of high school, I was in the middle of middle school. um, And there was a lot of pressure put on him by my parents to be thinking a lot about college. And I think like the kind of person my brother is, he didn't really want to think about it that much. Like, he was definitely not a an overachiever, I guess, um, and and so that was kind of the point of a lot of conflict in my family. I, on the other hand, I I was really different, I guess. Like my parents would always describe me as an overachiever, so I feel like they weren't that worried about me. Um, but my brother actually, he was first admitted to Carnegie Mellon, um, and he committed, and he actually then got off um, the wait list for Cornell, and so. Um, I think my parents were really I like obviously they were very glad that he got into Cornell, but it was kind of more of a pleasant surprise than, I guess, like a letdown in that sense. I feel like a lot of Asian families, it's like Harvard or nothing. Um, But I think my brother kind of set the stage for me then um, for them not to be, you know, super let down if I didn't go to like, oh, only the number one school and
1: only that's the one that's only important. And. With your uh, family prioritizing education and making sure, like, oh, you get your straight A's, you participate in extracurriculars, and you're going to aim for the top school, were you ever given a chance to think about, oh, is college really for me? Do I even want to go to a top school? Am I like content with going to just a school in Washington?
0: Um, I think for me, it was more important than anything else to get away from home. I really wanted to go out of state. Um, I wanted to go to a small liberal arts college Um, and like maybe not as small as like Williams, but definitely something smaller than a state school, something that wasn't so engineering heavy. Um, And because I mean, I mean, my favorite subject in high school was English. And so I really liked kind of the humanities aspect. Um, And so, I mean, it was always on my mind. Like, I know so many people who go to top 10 schools. Um, And so it's always on the mind of, okay, you know, which one am I going to go to? It's kind of more expected rather than, oh, this is a great option, but you don't have to do it. It's kind of more like this is what you should be aiming for. Um, And that was definitely something that was also echoed in my entire high school. I, um, I went to a magnet program. And so kind of everyone who's graduating pretty much goes to a top 20 school. Um, and, and so that was also, it wasn't just my family. It was, you know, my entire community essentially that was kind of saying, you know, these are the best schools to be going to. And I obviously, like, I don't disagree. Like, I think that the top 20 schools are a great atmosphere, a great community, and you get a great network out of it as well.
1: Yeah. And I also, I don't go to a magnet school, but I also go to a school where A lot of people do go to, you know, the top schools and there's the expectation there. And it creates this sort of dynamic between classmates. So it's like, oh, did you get a 97 on the test versus did you get like a 98 or 99? So that kind of exists in my school, at least it's very competitive there. So did you have the same kind of atmosphere in your school, like extremely competitive to the point where you were comparing percentages and like, oh, I got to this school, but then this school ranks higher or something. So did you have that kind of atmosphere in your school?
0: Um, I would say it wasn't as much so competitive in terms of numbers, but I definitely think it was very competitive in terms of maybe more so like extracurriculars. Like, what are you doing? Like, what are you achieving? That was definitely something that, um, like no one went around and asked each other, like, Oh, what did you get on the SAT or something? But it was kind of unspoken of like, Oh, that person's going to go to a really good school. Cause they do a lot of really great stuff. And that person's going to go to maybe a less ranking school because they don't do that
1: much stuff. Mm-hmm. Before we go on to the extracurriculars, which seems to be kind of the focus that you had in your high school, let's quickly talk about grades. So can you explain the kind of classes you took in your magnet school? And again, did you take a, like tons of APs, IBs, and honors? And like, can you explain the kinds you took and your idea behind it and how you how you approach taking those classes? Was it very analytical for you or were you like, Oh, this sounds interesting. I'll take this. Oh, this sounds interesting. I'll take that.
0: Yeah. Um, Oh God, my high school was very hard. Um, we were an AP IB high school, so we did both. Um, Mm -hmm. and we, so for my magnet program, actually, we did IB a year early than it's normally taken. So I did, I finished my IB diploma end of my junior year. Um, and, it was kind of like because we had so, because it was like this special program, it kind of felt like everything was already lined up for us. Like, okay, um, for like your freshman year, you're going to take AP World, then your second year, you're going to take AP Gov, IB, uh, IB Government, I think. And then your third year, you know, you choose one higher level or two higher levels, and then you take um, AP US, like it was very, oh, I think I flipped up some of them, um, but it was very like, that's what's expected. And every year we got, I think, one or two electives that we could kind of choose. So I I, I chose kind of, I would say more, more of the fun classes. I took like video production um, and for my IB high level, higher level, I did business management. Um, and so that was like something that I thought was fun. And a lot of my friends did like higher level physics or higher level math. And I was like, I definitely am not going to do that. Um, so um, yeah, as for APs, I ended up taking, I want to say nine AP tests, like by the time I graduated. As for IBs, like obviously did the entire diploma. So I had like seven IB tests that I was doing. Um, And then our senior year, we kind of essentially like finished the public school recommendation. Um, And so our school kind of just came up with random stuff. Um, So we had two class periods off to do an internship. Um, And then we took like, um, we took my um, econ, we took like macro and micro econ. Um, and like, uh, this weird, like poetry class, essentially, um, they kind of just, you know, came up with things for us to do. Um, and so the senior year was really relaxed, but sophomore and junior year was definitely really
1: intense. Oh, I have a question about senior year. So I've been like looking into it and I know that it's very rare that this happens, but a lot of colleges, they do expect that people who have been having a rigorous schedule all throughout high school continue it into senior year. And I've heard like very few cases of people just completely like easing off senior year and then they get their admissions like revoked. So did you like have that fear that you wouldn't look as competitive in your senior year, like or just your overall class?
0: Well, I, the thing is that everyone did it. So this was like everyone did an internship. Everyone, uh, did this, their senior year. It was very expected. Um, as for like slacking off your senior year, I think that only, um, applies if you like slack off your grades. So like a lot of schools will say you have to have like at least a 3.0 GPA for your senior year or something. Um, just to make sure you're not like getting like C's and D's. Mm -hmm. Um, I've never heard of anyone like, except people who, um, were kind of like suspended for school or something like they cheated or whatever um, to actually get their offers rescinded from college. Um, But I definitely don't think that like, I think colleges expect you to take a rigorous senior year, um, but they don't necessarily expect that to be more rigorous than your junior year. I think Mm -hmm. that's how I would frame it, especially your senior spring. Like they understand that you worked your butt off for the past two years and you just want to, do something fun for once, and I think a lot like this is understated. I think um, colleges really care about what you think is fun. They don't just care about if you can crunch numbers and um, memorize things. Um, they care about what you want to do for fun. So you might think that like oh pursuing a music career isn't rigorous, but that's actually something that makes you unique, um, and that's not something that they're going to hold against you.
1: Okay. Very very interesting yeah, perspective on that. So back to the grades. What did your GPA End up being what is the GP that you sent off to the schools?
0: Oh, God, I don't even. I want to say it was like a 3.94, I think. I got a few B's in in high school. um Somewhere between 3.9 and 4.0 is what I send off. Okay. Um, yeah, and then our school we had oh, so that was my unweighted I don't remember what my weighted was so like our school's kind of weird because we had AP IB and honors classes um yeah, so what is like, the
1: point of having all of those
0: yeah okay so my school had two programs we had the magnet program and then we had the regular public school program mm-hmm. um so honors classes like no one in my program the magnet program did honors classes but they were kind of more for the regular public school program um As for AP, IB, I honestly don't know why we do both. It's kind of, it's more so like we're an IB school um, and then you, you can do the AP if you want, but like when you're in the magnet program and like everyone's an overachiever, they like end up doing the APs anyway. So they like Mm -hmm. kind of prepare people for that anyway. Um, So yeah, it was kind of weird. So that was why like the weighted GPA was really hard to kind of understand because Obviously, like you could be taking an honors class or an IB class and the difficulty is going to be really different, but you can't like start doing like 5.0, 6.0. Like you can't just keep going up. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so I, I don't think I sent off a weighted UPI. It was just my unweighted. Interesting. And just one quick question about the APs and IBs in your school. Which one did you find to be more difficult? because they're relative. Yeah. So it kind of
0: goes into like how weird it is because we had some classes that were AP classes and then we had some classes that were essentially IB classes with like they will help you study for the AP. Um, And so I like the only class I took that was only AP was AP world. And that was because that was before I started the IB diploma. So it's kind of hard to gauge like which one was harder because for the IB classes, they were all IB AP. There was like no class that was only IB. Mm -hmm. Oh, so they were just integrated into kind of. Yeah, essentially. It was like, oh, well, we know you're going to take the AP anyway, so we'll help you study for it. But like the classes for IB.
1: Interesting. So by the end, you said you took nine APs and about seven IBs. So, can you tell yeah, us so, the? Can you tell us the the score that you got on those tests? Oh God, I got.
0: So, for my IB, I got a total score of I think thirty eight. Um, and so I don't know if you know much about IB, but I don't know each, to think about IB. <laughs> so, each IB test, so you're expected to take four lower level tests. Mm-hmm. and two higher level tests, mm-hmm. if I'm remembering correctly. And then you have this thing called theory of knowledge, which is basically a presentation. It's like another class you have to do, and it's also a presentation. Um, so for each of those things, you get a score out of seven. So I think the theory of knowledge doesn't count to the total score. So I think the total score you can get is a 42. Mm-hmm. Um and that is out of seven um, for like each of those tests. So like, there's like the standard one. So you have to take higher level English. You have to take higher level history. Um, And then for math, you could take like standard level or higher level. So for me, I took higher level business management and higher level. I honestly can't remember what my other high level was. Like maybe maybe English. I don't know. Um, um But then, yeah. So I got a 38 out of 42 with that, um, which is like, a pretty standard score like there's nothing super special about it um and then for APs I man I got like I, I think I remember the ones that I didn't do well on so I got a three on AP French um that was not a test that I should have taken and then I also got a three on AP uh, physics B2 like I know they changed the physics test a little bit but it was like It wasn't C, but it was like B2, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I got fours on AP Micro, AP, uh, maybe AP Gov. Mm -hmm. And um, I honestly don't remember. Uh, I got a handful of fives and a handful of fours. And then
1: I got like two threes. And that's all I remember. And so, with taking these APs and I guess we could say IBs as well, you obviously want to look like a competitive applicant. But with taking these, did you ever have the intention of maybe graduating a little bit early from college, or was it purely just to look like a competitive applicant?
0: Yeah. So the top universities are always unique in how they process APs. So, like some schools won't even process APs. So, like for Duke, they will. Um, so. For Duke, um, you're allowed to apply two AP credits to your graduation. Other than that, um, you can't apply them to your graduation, but you can use them to like fulfill prerequisites for classes. Um, so, for example, if you took AP Psych, um, but you already had like two APs that you would like used for graduation, um, then you could get into like Psych, um, like a higher level Psych class, but like the AP Psych wouldn't necessarily count as a credit. Um, so I, it wasn't like a priority for me and being like, oh, let me take this AP so that I can get another credit and graduate early. It was more so like, oh, if I take this AP now, then I potentially won't have to like take that class again. So like, for example, for my major, there's required to have like what whatever, like three math classes. But if you took AP Calc BC, which I did, um, you could like fulfill all those prerequisites. So then I wouldn't have to take that in college. So that was more the priority than it was to be like, oh, I want to graduate early.
1: Uh, so to get like kind of deeper into your major? Yeah, and just, just um you know,
0: get those classes out of the way. Like no one wants to take math 112 when they come into college. Um, mm-hmm. You kind of want to take the more interesting classes, right? And if you've already okay. learned the knowledge, then it's it's kind of like moot to learn it again.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so we've finished with the... Very complicated AP and IB system at your school. <laughs> yeah. So let's move on to uh, standardized tests. So did you take the SAT or the ACT? So I actually took
0: both. I submitted the ACT for colleges, but I mm-hmm. took the SAT because I was a National Merit Scholar. So um, after I took the PSAT, um, they told me to take the SAT to verify that I should be a National Merit Scholar or something.
1: Um, and I took that. Interesting. So can you tell us the preparations you had for both or if they were kind of the same preparation? Yeah, so
0: I would definitely recommend choosing one and running with it. Like some people will do better on the SAT, some people will do better on the ACT, and that's perfectly natural to not do equally well on both. Um, for me I was better at the ACT and my initial score like in my first test maybe this was like sophomore year of college or sophomore year of high school um, was like a 32 and so I mean obviously my parents were like we really want to get you up to that 36 Um, and so I had a tutor um, did a lot of practice tests like It all really is practice. Like, as much as I hate to say it, it is how many tests you do, how many problems you try. You start recognizing patterns, you start doing better. Um, So, by the time when I took my final ACT, which I think was like junior year of college, I I got a 35, and I was just like, okay, I'm done. Mm -hmm. Um, As for the SAT, I definitely had like SAT books, but I didn't really have a tutor for it necessarily. Um, I got a 1560 um, once it was out of 1600. That was like the time that I took it. Um, and yeah, I I I didn't really, um, I mean, I guess I studied, I probably took like one or two practice tests, but I didn't like hire a tutor and hire someone to like help me with it.
1: Yeah, So you definitely focus on the ACT more and you mentioned something. So your parents tried to make sure that you got the highest standardized test score as possible, because if you have a low one, it's very hard to get into a top school. So in general, how involved were your parents in your college application process, whether it was grades, extracurricular? So like how involved were they?
0: Uh, my dad was super involved. My, so my mom is the one, my dad works from home. And so he had a lot more like time and flexibility to be shuttling me around and everything, but he was super involved. He cared a lot. Um, You know, he was kind of the one that was always pushing me to be doing more extracurriculars. And I think like this was especially applicable my freshman, sophomore year. Like once I became a junior, I kind of realized it more so on my own that like okay, I want to do this. I want to do that. And not so much like my dad being like, you should do this. You should do that. Um, but yeah, he was very involved. Um, and I'm very lucky to have had him. Um, it was a lot of work. Like (laughs) he, like, there's definitely misconceptions that parents have about college. And I think it's in your right as a student to kind of decide with your own discretion, like what is actually important to you. So like, for example, having an ACT anywhere between, I I would say 33 and 36, like it's the same, like beyond that colleges don't care. I know people from my college who got a 28 on the ACT and like, we're not athletes. We're not like legacies or, you know, um, and so I would say like, you know, don't stress about the last like two points. Like it really doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Um, once you're above like a certain threshold for whatever school you're trying to apply to.
1: Yeah, that is true. And so, OK, let's go back to SAT and ACT preparation and specifically the National Merit Scholarship you got. So can you explain that a little bit? Because I'm I'm still a sophomore, so I'm not like too familiar with it. I haven't taken the actual SAT. Yeah. So that was my sophomore year. My entire
0: school did this thing where everyone took the PSAT.
1: Mm-hmm. Um
0: I think it was either my freshman or sophomore year. Um, And if your PSAT score comes back high enough, like your PSAT determines whether or not you should be a National Merit Scholar. I think that's what it is. Um, And then the reason why I had to take the SAT again is because once you take the PSAT, like normally people who take the PSAT end up taking the SAT anyway. But because I had never taken the SAT in like a formal capacity, they wanted me to like quote, verify my score. And so that's why I had to take it again. Um, but the national merit scholarship and like uh, the award and everything is more so tied to just your PSAT.
1: And is the is the national merit scholarship just something to put on your application or is there other things that you get rewarded with?
0: Yeah, it's so it's actually money. Um, so being a, so there's two kinds of ways that you get money. So one is being a national merit scholar mm-hmm. um, and. This, I think, is a $2,000 award. Um, It's either $2,000 or $4,000. I I think it's $2,000, I don't remember. Um, the other way is that companies actually use the National Merit database to also award people. I don't know how they do like I don't know how they determine who to give it to, but for example, I got an award from Citizen Watch, which is like a watch company, super random, um, but they gave me five hundred dollars each semester that I'm enrolled um and so there's different ways that you can get um. Like scholarships from the program. I don't think you can get both. I think it's like one or the other, but like being a national merit school, I mean, I know like $2,000 is not like that much money, um, but it's nice. And then also, yeah, you can put on your resume for sure. But I didn't find out until like senior spring, I think. So it wasn't that relevant. Mm, okay, yeah.
1: okay. So we've done all this, like, mm, you know, stats and such like that. Oh, actually, one more thing. I want, I have a question about subject tests, SAT subject tests. So I know a lot of top schools say we would like if you had like two or three which means they want it on your application so did you have any subject tests
0: yeah so i did two Mm -hmm. so the rule of thumb with subject tests this is what i was told is as long as you get above a 700 you're fine Mm -hmm. um and so i did math I, i think it's always recommended that you do math, just because I think that subject, that subject test is like relatively easy. Like you don't have to especially study for it. Um, I think I got an 800. I don't remember. Um, and then I took English or no, I took literature, which is uh, more known as a hard test. So I don't know why I took it, but I got a 690. So that was kind of um, unfortunate. It was like really close to 700. Um, but yeah, I just submitted those two. And honestly, I don't think I mean, I think that it's nice to have it. I don't think it's a deal breaker for any college. um, But again, it's kind of one of the things where it's nice to have.
1: Okay, so now we're done with the grades and such. So let's move on to your extracurriculars. So. You said your parents were, especially your dad, he suggested that you take a bunch of extracurriculars. So can you explain going into high school, or maybe this was just a lifelong thing for you, which extracurriculars did you take and how did you approach it? Like take as much as I can or take a few, but really invest my time and like climb up to a leadership position.
0: Yeah. So I would say leadership positions are pivotal. Um, because one is like there's so much personal growth that happens when you take on a leadership position and colleges want to see their students being leaders. Um, The other one is like leadership comes with impact. Um, And if you're just like a member in eight clubs, like that's wonderful um, and good for you. But what kind of impact can you show for it? Uh, I think that's something that you should ask for yourself whenever you're kind of evaluating your extracurriculars. Um, So for me, I I think a lot of it also ties into like what you potentially want to study. So for example, if you want to study computer science, it's probably recommended that you should do more computer science related extracurriculars. Um, And something that my college advisor told me when I was applying Um, Which I thought was interesting is that colleges are not looking to build a class of well-rounded individuals, they're looking to build a well-rounded class. And what this means is that you have people who are really good at math and then you have people who are really into social justice and you have people who are really into physics. Like you have people, students who like specialize in something in some way. Um, And I know this is kind of unfair to people because it's like, well, how do I know what I want to do when I get to college? Um, but I, I think like, I definitely think when I, when I reflect on the people I know who went to specific schools, even though they're not studying now, maybe what they indicated in their application, their applications were very tailored on a specific subject area. I think that that is, is a good indicator for maybe why someone would have gotten into X school and not a school, you know, um, So, so on that, I, I didn't decide that I wanted to like apply as a computer science major until pretty much my senior year. Um, and because of that, I don't think I had a great story as to why I was interested in it, but kind of just walking through my extracurriculars. Um, and like, I was definitely an overachiever. Like, I don't think that everyone needs to be doing all these things. Um, my freshman year. So I was definitely involved in a lot of clubs throughout high school. I wasn't involved in that many of them in a leadership capacity. Um, but I was involved in the robotics club and we had this thing called future problem solvers at my school. I don't know if you have that. Um, it's kind of like a competition. I was involved in science Olympiad for a little bit. I was involved in, um, like model UN for a little bit. Like I was kind of just involved in all these things, like not super interested in them. My first big extracurricular came the summer after my freshman year when my dad suggested that I reach out to a city council member and ask them if there was anything that I could like work with them on. Um, and so I joined this nonprofit called American Immigration Forums, which was a student led nonprofit aiming to increase immigration dialogue in my city and. Um, I was in that for about three years. So I was kind of in that for all of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I took on a leadership position in that. Other than that, I also founded a She's the First chapter at my high school where I was the president. This was like two years, maybe. Um, and I. Can you inter-
1: repeat the name of the club again? Sorry.
0: She's the First. Okay. Um, yeah. So it's an international nonprofit that essentially has chapters across high schools and colleges to raise money and sponsor education in third world countries. Um, that's what that does. So yeah, it's, um, it's, it, yeah, it's like an international thing and they have chapters everywhere. Um, and then I also interned a few places. So I interned at an education nonprofit that focused on analyzing education truancy. Um, I was communications intern. I also founded a science summer camp, um, with my friend, and this was a, um, nonprofit that essentially like took APIB curriculum and taught it to middle schoolers to kind of help them prepare for high school. Um, That one, okay, it was actually not a nonprofit. It was a for-profit. We made money, Um, but we donated a lot of it. So it was like kind of a nonprofit. Um, And then I also joined a national organization called Families with Children from China. I'm not adopted, but I had a cousin who worked with this organization as a cultural liaison. So what the organization does, it's Pretty much, you know, back in the 90s, it was very common for white families to adopt children from China, um, especially young girls um, and disabled um, children from China. Um, and kind of all these families are now like their children are growing up. they're maybe like teenagers or early teenagers, and um, they want to help their children get a better understanding of their heritage. Um, so I came on board as a cultural liaison on the exec board. Um, I was also a robotics mentor for like Mindstorm. So I would volunteer at an elementary school and help these kids like code and scratch. Um, I interned at a hospital. um, And these are all like throughout different periods in my high school like career. I didn't do all of these simultaneously. Um, I also interned at a hospital in their cultural responsive care department. um, And so this was specifically on... Helping Asian immigrants get healthcare. Um, this was involved in like how do you reach these Asian immigrants, and then how do you make healthcare accessible to them? Um, and then I also tutored kids um, in
1: like geometry and math. Okay, so you um, you founded a lot of stuff, like a lot, a lot of stuff. So with these like top schools, I think once you do even just like a little bit of research, you're going to find that. The people that they accept are the club fine the club founders or like organization founders or you know, presidents of like a bunch of clubs. So did you know that you needed this, like you needed a bunch of leadership going into high school, or was it more of like you should try to be the best and then you realize like it totally pays off when it comes to college acceptances?
0: Yeah, I think it really depends on who you are. So, for example, me, I feel more like a natural leader. Um, one of my friends was really interested in science research, and so most of his extracurriculars were doing internships at research labs and conducting Alzheimer's research or whatever, and he goes to MIT. So I feel like it really depends on who you are. If you gravitate towards leadership, then I say take the initiative, found your own club, take on the president role. Um, but, you know, if that's not so much your jam, and that's perfectly fine if it's not. Um then do the things that really speak to you, but try to think about your impact. So if you are doing research, how many people are you potentially impacting? Like how much money did you, like how many grants did you potentially raise for your research? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think those speak a lot to who you are rather than just kind of like forcing yourself to do president positions because you think it's going to help with your college applications. Like I think it definitely will help if you are a president versus if you are just a member of a club. But if that's not what you're interested in, like,
1: don't force yourself to do it. And can you so what's really interesting to me is a lot of high school students don't know the extent of the extracurriculars they can do outside of high school. Like, I I highly doubt many people know that they can find they can, you know, find a summer camp or something or like intern with who was it that you interned with? I think sophomore year your city council? Yeah, I interned with a city councilor. Yeah. Like, I don't think a lot of high schoolers, or at least to my knowledge, know that you can do this kind of stuff. So where did this sort of, where did this all come from? Like, how did you know you could do all of this?
0: Yeah. So for me, I, this is just a little tidbit about myself. I don't thrive under authority. (laughs) I'm kind of someone who likes to go out and do my own thing. And so that's why I was never a big fan of like, climbing up the ladder for clubs, let's say, especially, you know, I, I mean, like, it's so funny to stay, say, but like high schools are really political, like between students. Mm-hmm. um, And so like, you know, being elected the president of Model UN probably would have taken a lot more work, like work that I didn't want to do on my behalf, rather than just founding something that I wanted to do. um, And I think another thing also is like, a lot of times you do feel constrained to, your school and like, yes, yes. there, But the thing is, it's your school is so saturated, especially for people who go to high achieving high schools, like everyone's trying to do something in the school and it's like Mm -hmm. impossible to try to come up with something. Um, And, but the thing is like, there's so much opportunity in your community. Like, for example, I know some people who with the start of COVID like founded some nonprofit to deliver goodie bags to senior citizens or something like that. And that's That's, I think, unique and it has nothing to do with your school. You can definitely do it with your friends from high school, but I think you aren't constrained by needing to have a teacher advisor and needing to fall under your student government rules and all of those things. You can really just do whatever you want. And that's kind of how I approached my extracurriculars too. I was kind of just like, I want to do something. So I'm just going to find someone in the community who can help me do it. And like a lot of the internships I did in the community, I found those through, outside connections or like through the career center at my, at my high school. Um, like a lot of people would post internships, like, yeah, they're unpaid. So if you have the means to do so, and it's something you're interested in, I definitely recommend it. Um, Cause there's so much opportunity in your community, especially like the number of nonprofits in your community that already exist and are looking for more volunteers. Um, I think that it shows a lot. If you can kind of think outside the box and find opportunities that you're really interested in and not being constrained by like your high school and like what other people are doing.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Cause a lot of people do think that they need to do whatever high school does. And, you know, I was looking at the list of clubs in my school and we have a lot of clubs, but none of them interested me. So I was like, what am I going to do now? So yeah, I've definitely had that feeling before. So you have a bunch of extracurriculars. And one thing I'm curious about is you said in freshman year, you tried out a bunch of clubs like here and there, like Model UN and such. So did Mm -hmm. you end up putting those on your college application or did you just say, you know, they're not as significant as the other things I've done, so I'm just going to leave them out?
0: So one thing that my college advisor recommended was creating like a visual timeline of all the clubs that I was involved in at school. Mm -hmm. And so I put that on my like, like the resume that they ask you to submit and also like a college resume is very different in my opinion from a career resume like a professional resume um and so you put all of your awards down you put like how much time you spent on each thing and how many weeks of the year you did it like a lot of specifications that you wouldn't on like a professional resume um so the way I would describe it is if you have noticeable impact for what you did if you can if someone can look at your resume and ask you about it, and you can talk about it for at least five minutes on what you did and why it was important, then put it as like a resume bullet point. If you can't do that, um, and but you still spent time on it, like let's say I was in Model UN for two years, um, then put it under like some bullet point that just says clubs. And then you just write each one like Model UN, Science Olympiad, and you don't have like all those bullet points mm-hmm. under it.
1: Okay. So let's move on to another part of your application. Actually, can we talk more about your extracurriculars? They're so interesting. So can you tell yeah, us sure. a little bit a little bit more about so I remember you founded a summer camp with your friends. So can you tell us the process behind that and where the idea for that came from?
0: Yeah, so that was actually a product of the IB diploma, I think. So like for IB, you need to have a quote experience. That is approved and like some sort of, I don't, I don't remember exactly what it was for. Like, I think it's some sort of community experience or whatever. Um, and so we decided together to found like a summer camp, um, and we registered as a business. Um, we opened a bank account. It was really exciting, you know, walking into the bank, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, and we marketed to elementary schools. We went to, um, we went to different sixth grader classes, seventh grader classes and kind of like, hey, you want to get a head start on what you're doing. And the thing that you realize about high achieving communities is that all the parents want their middle schoolers to be doing academic things over the summer or or they go to like camp, you know? Um, And so for us, it was like the perfect market because actually like camp doesn't really exist in the Pacific Northwest. Like I was very surprised when I went to college and everyone's like oh yeah we met at camp in junior year I was like what is that um (laughs) but yeah so there are there's tons of demand for this because you know all these Asian parents being like oh I want my kids to learn AP curriculum when they're 12
1: um
0: and we made a lot of money we made uh I think 15,000 um over that one summer um actually yeah so we did it two summers so we made 15,000 over two summers um so the first summer we probably made like Five thousand. Then the second summer we doubled, so we made ten thousand. Um, and yeah, it w- it was really fun. I did more, I guess, like the business side of things. I wasn't that interested in actually like science. Um, and my friend, who the co-founder, he focused more kind of like on curriculum and like the science part and everything like that. Um, so it was a really great experience. Um, I definitely think if you're an entrepreneurial person, like go for it, like build something, like. No college expects you to be making billions of dollars when you apply, but I think it says a lot of your personal experience if you have at least tried to make a company.
1: Mm, yeah, that's true. Okay, so due to time, we're gonna like move on a little bit, but I have one last thing about extracurricular. So on your college application, can you give like a little snippet of what that extracurricular like? what that extracurricular meant to you and what impact you had? Or do you just kind of put it on there? And if they ask you, elaborate.
0: So all of the things on what it meant to you, I would say, put that in an essay. Um, But as for impact you had on other people, put it on your resume or put it on your college app of like things that you did. Um, And the reason why I say this is because um, I think a lot of people forget this. When you apply, your college admissions officer has everything about you. They have Mm -hmm. your resume, they have your transcripts, they have all of that. The only time when they get to know you as a person, as more than just a list of accomplishments, is through your essays. And so... And you don't, like, the last thing you want to do is repeat yourself because you only have so many words and you want to make the most of them. So, the like, do not start listing off your accomplishments in your essay. Start talking about, like, what they mean to you, why you did them, what you learned, how you changed as a person. Um, And this goes best in the essay versus, like, in your resume. You don't want to talk about that stuff because they're not necessarily looking for that. They're looking for, okay, like, what is this thing that this person did and how, like, why was it impressive? Um, and why something is impressive is always in the context of other people, right? Um, so that's how I'd make the distinction. But you definitely should talk about both inside your college app. They just belong in different places.
1: And overall, you seem very busy because you founded it, a, you founded a bunch of things. And you were in a lot of leadership positions, which does take more time than being an ordinary member or volunteer. And you also had a very rigorous, uh, I guess, high school course schedule. So how was how did you manage all that or did you manage it very poorly? So how was high school for you, like super stressful, super like manageable? So how, how did it go for you?
0: So I would say that it was a very stressful time but not because of how busy I was. I think it was more of the product of how much I was growing as a person. So like, definitely there were nights where I wouldn't sleep because I was working on an essay. Um, And those are things that like, no matter how busy you are in extracurriculars, like that's probably going to happen. But all of the other stressors in my life that kind of happened from all the extracurriculars I had, it was because I was having a difficult time being a leader and I needed to figure out how to be a better leader. And I was, it's kind of like these personal growth moments rather than being like, so stressed that I didn't have time to do everything that I wanted to do. Um, yeah. So that's kind of how I characterize that. And also like, don't spread yourself too thin. Like I would kind of analyze before you get really involved in like busy work, let's say for a club. How much impact can I potentially have on this community by the time I'm applying to colleges? Um, And the reason I say this is because if your impact is going to be stagnant, no matter how much time you spend on it, then don't spend that much time on it because you can be more impactful in other
1: areas, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And with your extracurriculars, did you like genuinely enjoy all of them, like the actual content of it? There were definitely
0: ones that I did for the resume, like um, she's the first I think I did because of the resume and, um, you know, mentoring or yeah, like doing the Mindstorms mentoring. Like I just did that for the resume and also because my friend was like, do you want to do this with me? And I was like, "Okay." Um, I think there's like no shame in doing things for the resume, but like don't make that the priority of your life. Mm -hmm. Um, and also I think even if you are doing things for the resume, you're still going to gain personal relationships. You're still going to gain, um, amazing, like learning experience and personal growth and all those things. And don't undercut that just because you're doing it for the resume. Like, let's say you're volunteering at a soup kitchen, like, and you don't care about soup kitchens or whatever, like still meet the people there and talk to the people, talk to the adults, like talk to more adults when you're a high school, high schooler, um, that's something you don't have that much access to and once you talk to people who are older like the world becomes a little less toxic (laughs) if you go to like a really really um uh you know competitive high school and you kind of realize oh yeah there's more things important to life than getting a five on your ep you know and that was kind of what i gained from a lot of the extracurriculars that like for example um being a board member on families with children from china I met like 10 families of these older adults who had children from China and I was like a peer with them. Like we worked together on this organization and it was really interesting learning about other people's paths, how they got to where they are and also what their priorities are. Because a lot of them, their priorities are family or, um, you know, staying in touch with relatives who are far away. Um, and you really don't think about that when you're in high school, you just think about, uh, you know, how am I going to get into the good college? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's not what everything's about. And I think that was an important lesson that I learned from meeting people f- through my extracurriculars.
1: Yeah. That's amazing. That that is, that is really amazing that you learned that. And I have one more, we're still on your extracurriculars, but I have one more question about extracurriculars. So mm-hmm. I personally agree with you. Like High school, it's just, I don't know, I guess it's kind of limiting in what you can do. And it's kind of disappointing when you see, like, this is like all I can do when you think that way. So with high school, though, do you think that it's sometimes better to still do stuff in high school than everything out of high school? Because I have a fear that colleges are going to be like, oh, she did a bunch of stuff out of high school. Cool. But what did she do in her own school? So did you have that kind of concern that you were really focused on your community like outside of high school rather than in high school? Not at all. I actually would argue the opposite. Like if we're, okay, we if we can talk about this quantitatively and
0: qualitatively. If we're talking about quantitatively, we're thinking about what kind of impact are you making? Mm-hmm. Any impact you're making on your community is inevitably going to be larger in numbers than just your high school. You know, my high school was 1,200 kids. Um, and when I was working with the education truancy nonprofit, I was working with 10 different schools. Um, and so the impact you're making is going to be larger. Um, qualitatively, I would say that find where you have the most opportunity for growth. For some people, this is doing student government and, This is um, making really wonderful relationships with teachers and doing research with them over the summer. For me, I just felt like I never really vibed doing that. And I wanted to go outside of my school. So if you have a really wonderful community in your school, you have really great relationships with teachers, like take advantage of that um, and make that what you're about. But if that's not the case for you, like don't try to force that, like find yourself, um, find yourself in context of something else. Um, that's
1: what I'd recommend. So we've done very extensive uh, overview of your extracurricular. So let's move on to another part of your application, which is, you said it's very important, which is your Common App and specifically the Common App Essay. Yeah, Common App Essay. So can you tell me how you tackled that part of your application?
0: Yeah, so I had a very eccentric college advisor. Um, He was a really interesting guy. He actually owned a really, really small like niche private school um, and his son went to, his older son went to Hart, or Stanford um, and like his older son went to this like niche high school. It was like weird, um, but he was a really eccentric guy. And he said something that I thought was really helpful actually when I was writing my essays. And so what he said was for every four words that you write, one of them is going to be good. So Sit down and literally like he called it like word vomit, like just like keep writing until you absolutely have nothing else to say. Like, don't worry about word counts when you're first writing, because if you like see an essay has a 600 word count and you write 600 words, if like someone who's really good cuts that down, you're going to end up with 200 words, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so for every 600 word essay, he wanted me to write 2,500 words for every 200 word essay. He wanted me to write a thousand words, like literally just keep writing until you have nothing to write about. And also don't, um, something that he had me do is like, don't write your, don't write essays to the prompt write your essays and then work them to the prompt later. Um, And the reason why this happens is because things in your life can be applied to so many different prompts what these schools really care about is learning more about you. Like, yeah, they asked you about an obstacle that you faced, but what they really care about is just learning more about you. And if you write about something that maybe was a more unconventional obstacle, um, that's fine because they're still learning so much about you and they'll appreciate that. But if you kind of look at the prompt and say, Oh, obstacle, like I don't have That many obstacles in my life and you try to like in some ways confine your life experiences to what your understanding of a standard obstacle is then your essay is not going to be as good as it could have been so that's my two things that i followed when i was playing college is write like crazy literally sit down for an afternoon and just write force yourself to sit down in front of someone else and like literally just write so you can't get distracted um and Um, it's important to look at the prompts. Like I would say collect all the prompts and have like an overview of what all these prompts are asking you. But when you're writing an essay, don't write it for a specific prompt. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And oh, yeah, your advisor gives very unique, but seems like very good advice. So when you were writing these essays, so it appears that you didn't have the stress, at least the foremost stress of like word count and such. So when writing these essays, how would you say, how did you define like obstacles or like periods of growth? So how did you approach that if it wasn't like, I guess, within the word count or what you think the college expects of you?
0: Yeah, so I would say there's two groups of essays you can write. You can write about things that are on your resume that impacted you. And this is like a completely valid thing to write about. You can also write about completely random things that just happened to your life and for some reason you remember them. And I think that's always a good place to start is just thinking like, what are specific memories that I have that I retain that are important to me Mm -hmm. um, that I remember? Because I mean, like you are have been alive for 18 years if you remember something specifically, it must've been for a reason. So really dig deep and think about like, why do I remember this? What is the impact that it had on me? Um, And sometimes it's like the most mundane things that make for a really interesting essay. Like there was an essay that went like viral like 10 years ago, maybe called like the Costco essay or something. Um, And it's about, it's literally about this girl who likes going to Costco and she like, apparently gotten to like Stanford and Harvard and like all the big schools. Um, And I think it especially means a lot when you can take something relatable and like normal in many ways and make it unique. Um, Because like imagine you're an admissions officer and you're reading like essay after essay after essay about someone who helped a child do something and Uh, it changed their life. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) um, you get
1: bored because they have to read a bunch of that kind
0: of thing gets so tiring. But like, let's say you're reading an essay and it's about how you really like to go to Costco. And it's like, I like to go to Costco. Like, this is so fun, you know? Um, And I think a lot of times, like it obviously depends on how good of a writer you are. Like, for example, there was this one college essay I um, read that was about how this guy loves to procrastinate. And so in, um he was thinking, it's like kind of hard to explain, but like he really amplified his message through the style of writing. Like the whole essay was about how he would come up with all of these contraptions in order to like help him procrastinate more. And you kind of learn like, oh, wow, this guy is so inventive. He's so creative. He like is very introspective and like, Um, He's an engineer like you learn all those things through reading this essay about how he likes to procrastinate and you like wouldn't think that that's necessarily a good thing to write about but it helps them learn a lot more about you and I think a lot of times like people like to think about like what do others want to see from me, what is the standard like what, um, you know, what does it mean to be a good student. Um, and you have to remember that these colleges, like okay, the top colleges, are looking for students who are changing the definition of student. Like they're they're being extra in some way that makes them really special. Like they're looking for students that are making impact and making change, and like being the standard isn't really what they're looking for. If that makes sense?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense because there's a bunch of people who like have the same GPA and like are. know Mm presidents of a bunch of clubs but what distinguishes you from all those other very achieved applicants?
0: Yeah and the thing is like who are you? Like if somebody asked me who am I, I wouldn't say, oh I'm the founder of this summer camp, blah blah blah. Like I would say like oh you know I'm a girl who likes engineering and adventuring, traveling the world, like all these things are so much more important to, than to who you are in, like, in your, in my opinions, like, in your opinion. Um, and essentially, all of a college application is just a college admissions officer asking you, who are you? And so, if you, all you're putting out there is, I'm the president of this club, I'm the founder of this club, like, you don't sound like a great person to get to know, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's,
1: like, very formal and professional. Yeah, exactly. So, with that being said. With your common app essay at least, and actually we can talk about your supplementals too, because your your um, your advisor also like helped you with those as well. So with that advice that he gave about forgetting the word count, forgetting the prompt, just kind of just right, was that more stress or less stress for you? So it definitely takes a lot of time. I will admit that. I
0: would, after school every day, I would like drive to his office and sit there and write for like five hours and then go home. Um, and so if you have an after school job, if you have other things like that, um, I was very lucky to have dedicated a lot of time to just this. Mm-hmm. Um, I would definitely say start early, start in August. Like you don't even need to know the prompts to start writing. Just start writing. Just sit down, you know, enjoy a nice cup of tea and start writing. Um And um, I would say for me, having less structure is more helpful. This definitely is different for different people. And so I wouldn't say like if if you heard what I just said about how to go write, and you were like, I hate that, then don't do it. You know, don't make yourself suffer just to follow this random girl on a podcast on what she says, mm-hmm. how to write your essays. Um, but I would say find an advisor if you can, if you have the means, find an advisor who you vibe with, because I think if you vibe with them, then they're probably going to have a method that you're going to vibe with. Um, If you don't have an advisor like if you aren't able to find a good one or whatever i would just say like really focus on if you were to read read a lot read a lot of other people's essays i think that's good to know and after you read it think to yourself what did i learn about this person and do i like that do i want to be like that um do i want to be friends with them And I think those are the questions that admissions officers are asking themselves after they read applications is, do I like this person? Do I want them at the school? Um, And you want to
1: emulate that when you write an essay. So just keep that in mind when you're writing. And what did you write your, well, let's first talk about Common App, because that's the really, that's probably the longest essay you write, right? So can you tell us a little bit about what you wrote about that? what you wrote that about.
0: Yeah, so my my Common App, actually, so I mean, like under this um, method of just like writing whatever, my Common App was super, like, I would say unexpected on what it ended up being. So like when I first started writing, before I met my college advisor, I started writing about this time when I was young and I was walking with my grandma in China and we saw a child without an arm and he was like asking for money and my grandma I was you know I was like grandma like we should go help him and my grandma was like no you can't do that you can't trust people in China like and then she kind of told me the story about how gangs or like bad people in China will kidnap children and cut off their arms and make them ask for money because they garner more sympathy so like this is this really like heavy sad story um, that has that was really impactful on me because like that still scares me right like that's terrifying um, and I was writing this essay and I was writing it and it just wasn't good it wasn't there and I spent so much time writing on it and it just it felt like I was beating a dead horse by the end and my college advisor was like I think it's time to put this story to rest. I don't think that it's going anywhere. And that was a really hard like thing to come to because I had spent so much blood and tears on just like trying to make this story something that is so meaningful. Um, And I couldn't get it there. Um, And so I scrapped that story and I was really sad and I was just like writing a ton about other things in my life. My common app actually ended up being something super um interesting I would say it was uh, on the more kind of what I was saying earlier like you can write about super mundane things and you can write about things that you know you didn't really accomplish. and I wrote about my relationship with religion and I wrote about how you know one day these Jesus people came to my door and they said hello do you believe in Jesus and I was like um yeah like sure like um I didn't want to say no to them and and so they were like will you pray with us and I was like okay sure and I like I didn't know how to do it and I was very like uh like fish out of water um and I kind of talked about you know how I mean I'm definitely not recounting this as well as I wrote it obviously um like I talked about how growing up, you know, my parents are atheists. We never talked about religion. It was kind of like one of those things where we would see on Fox News or something about some uh, Christian person and my dad would be like, haha, like so funny. Like it was never really talked about. Um, And I was a like stout, like non-believer growing up. Like I was just like, I think it's stupid. Like, I think we should put faith in science, like all those things. Um, And then like my grandpa died like in high school and I was like feeling really sad and I went on a run and I was just like, you know, laying on the grass, staring at the sky as like an emo teenager does. And I was just like, all right, you know, I'm going to give it a try. So like, I like prayed and like, I didn't know if I did it right. I didn't know like what happened, but it, I felt a lot better, like, after I did that, like, I just for some reason, I felt a lot better, um, and the moral of my essay was kind of just on the stance of, like, um, well, I used some, like, Socrates quote or something that was, like, um, knowing that you know nothing is more important, or something like, what was it? Knowing you know nothing is, oh my god, let me find it. <laughs> Um, this is now bothering me. Okay, I found it. Socrates said, true knowledge exists in knowing that you know nothing. Um, So that was kind of like what I framed my essay around is the fact that, you know, I used to be super, super against religion. I'm like, it's, the cause of so many bad things in the world, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I'm still not Christian. Like I wouldn't identify with any religion right now, but it it's um, it's worthwhile to discount your own biases and be Um, open-minded. And that's, in reflecting on yourself that that was my essay I, I definitely did not tell it as well just now as i did when i was actually writing it you know because this is like months and months of editing and writing goes into this essay um so i hope that didn't sound too stupid of an essay Oh, that, um, sounds, yeah.
1: that sounds amazing that's an interesting topic because you know you hear the regular topics of oh this happened to me and i overcame this obstacle or like you know sports people write about sports a lot so you hear a lot of those essays so that's that's a very interesting essay So can you talk about uh, the supplemental essays and how you tackled those, I guess you could say, and kind of what did you focus those about? Because you don't have, whether you like it or not, you don't have like a word count to like go off of. So did you struggle more with those or like, how did you approach those?
0: Yeah. um, I actually didn't have, I don't remember having that many different kinds of supplemental essays. And so there's definitely the essay that's like, why the school? Mm -hmm. And then there's the essay that's like, why this major? Um, And then there's the essay that's like, um, tell us about a community you're a part of. I think that's like a pretty common essay topic. Um, And then like, some colleges just have, like, a free space, like, do whatever, mm-hmm. um, and I know there's also the prompt that's, like, tell us a, a belief you have, like, that kind of thing, um, to be honest, I don't remember most of my essays, um, I did have one really unique essay that, like, didn't really belong in any of those categories, That I submitted it for one of my colleges, um, but it was a poem about, um, like how to cover up the murder. So it's like very interesting topic. It was just something I ended up writing. and I, I Cause I love crime shows. And so I just ended up writing it. My advisor was like, well, we should put it somewhere. Um, yeah, so um, honestly, like the only ones that I feel like I can give unique advice for is like the why this school. Um, for the why the school, you want to be as specific as possible. You want to make it so that if you replace the name of the school with any other school out there, the entire essay doesn't make sense. Um, and the reason why you want to do that is because you want to show that you did your research, that you really care about the school, because any school that asks you why this school wants to know that you really want to go there. Like Harvard and Stanford, don't ask why the school, um, because everyone applies there. Um yeah, so you want to be really really specific and talk about a variety of things, talk about academic endeavors, talk about research, talk about community, talk about social social like traditions. Um literally just like talk about everything. Um and that's a good way to get that done. Um as for the why this major, I think it's really important to start with a story that doesn't have to be related to that specific topic, but like having an underlying story behind why you want to be in whatever major, I think is key because you don't want to sound like, you don't want to sound like a record player, you know, like I did this research and I thought it was really cool. And then I met this professor and I thought they were really cool. So I want to study this. Um, It's just so boring. Like, I don't want to read that. Um, and so I, you know, if, but if you start with like, so, I mean, a lot of people, if they say I want to study bio biology, um, the very common, uh, very common one is saying, you know, when I found out about my grandpa's cancer, I felt like my whole world had changed. Um, that's very common starting line for that kind of essay. But, um, think about like a story, like what invigorates you to want to study what you want to study. And it's okay if you need to make something up, like it doesn't I don't expect every high schooler out there to know exactly why they want to study like chemistry, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's hard to say. Um, So that's all the like specific advice I can give for like kinds of essays out there. I know there's a lot of different prompts, but like what I said before, I think still applies, like keep writing, don't be thinking about the prompts when you're writing it, but like after you write something and you'll you'll see the connection between prompts and what you wrote. Um and that's I think when you can really make the essay more powerful is starting with this base and then saying, okay, this prompt is asking for this. I'm gonna tailor this essay now to this prompt. I
1: mean, that's amazing advice. And overall, like you gave really good advice on the different components of your application. So in your case, since you did have like really strong like points on many parts of your application which do you think stood out the most do you think your essays really did it for you extracurriculars uh I mean grades for like these top schools everyone pretty much has the same grades and such so what do you think really like made you stand out a little bit what made you what made you a really competitive applicant like I want this girl at my school it was definitely
0: my extracurriculars I would say um I actually like so I don't know if you know the FERPA law um but under FERPA any student has the right to access their academic records including their application if you're a student at that school Mm -hmm. um and so like you know some schools like Stanford will like you know there's a rumor that they burn all the applications so that the students can't see them but most schools you can request under the FERPA law to see your application so I ended up seeing my application and um all I remember really, uh, I don't remember the specifics anymore, but like at the end they rate the school or they rate the student on like three things. They rate them on background essays and uh, like the college, like for me it's Trinity, which is the College of Arts and Sciences. And I think I got like, I don't remember what the standards were. It was like three. So I got like the middle for essay and um, like Trinity. And then for, for background, I got like the the best one like um Mm -hmm. special or I don't remember what the label was um so yeah I definitely think it was my extracurriculars I definitely did do a lot of stuff um I think I could have done a better job in tailoring my extracurriculars to what I applied for because I had done all these extracurriculars and then I was like oh I'm gonna apply for computer science and like really didn't make sense um for my application so I think My background would have made more sense, and my essays would have made more sense if I had had a more cohesive persona, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, I definitely think the
1: quantity and quality of extracurriculars I did was powerful. And one last thing before we move on to, you know, actual like college experience is why did you choose computer science as a major? In the beginning, I remember you saying English was your favorite subject in high school, so I would assume you went into something more like humanities based.
0: Yeah, I mean, kind of funny story. I just like I was just like, yeah, I want to study computer science. Like there wasn't really a reason behind it. <laughs> um, I mean, English is still my favorite subject. Um, but you know, when you're thinking about opportunities after college, I don't want to get an English PhD. I don't want to be a professor. I don't want to do research. I want to go out in industry. I want to maybe do business, that kind of stuff, and being a computer science major just sets you up a lot better for that. Um, and so I'm definitely I was definitely thinking more on the practical side. But if I were to apply to colleges again, I would probably apply as something else, maybe like a pub, pub major or something that made more sense.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: but yeah, I, I'm a very practical person. And so I was just like, yeah, practically, I want to
1: study computer science. OK, so actually I lied. We're not at the end of high school so far. So can you tell us quickly about the colleges that you chose to apply to and how did you approach making that college list? Like I'm going to apply to this, 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 these, these schools.
0: Yeah, for me, it was kind of more of an opposite process where I took the top 20 schools and then just eliminated all the schools that I didn't want to go to. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I didn't apply to UPenn. I didn't apply to MIT. And these are kind of subjective reasons too. I was kind of just like, I don't want to um I didn't apply to Tufts I didn't apply to like uh I don't remember what the other like I didn't apply to U Chicago because they don't have an engineering school so that one kind of was more of a reason um but yeah that was kind of I ended up applying to 13 schools um including like my safeties and whatever I applied to UW which is like our state school and then my safety school was Boston College um and then I also like my fit schools were kind of like rice and um, I don't remember the other schools I applied to. Um, And then, yeah. And then I applied to like the top 10 um, schools, which I feel like is a pretty standard thing to do when you go to a really competitive school.
1: And so one thing I have a question about is, was finance not a too big of a concern in your family? Like, did you have the ability to be more, open and flexible with which schools you wanted to go to instead of saying like, oh, this school has a scholarship. So I'm going to try to apply for this school because they can give me a lot of aid.
0: Yeah, I I didn't apply to um, like I didn't really take that into consideration. I know I'm really lucky to have been able to do so. Um, I know there are a lot of schools, for example, if you go to um, a Texas high school and you are the valedictorian, you get a full ride to any Texas state school. Um, And so there's definitely a lot of programs out there. It wasn't one of the considerations I had, Um, but for all the top schools as well, they will have both really great financial aid and um, also merit scholarships. So I have a lot of friends at Duke who are full ride merit scholarships. I also have a lot of friends at Duke who are half tuition or full tuition financial aid. Um, And so I, I think that. Another thing is like, that's also something you can negotiate with your schools after you get in. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I wouldn't, if you have the means to apply to more schools, which I think they give waivers for a lot of the um, Common App um, submissions, I would apply to like all the schools you want to and then see what kind of packages they can give you. Because you can go back to a school and say, hey, this other school um, gave me a full ride and you only gave me half tuition. Like, is it possible to get a full ride? Um,
1: and you can kind of use that as leverage. Interesting. So, of this, so you selected all these schools and you applied to them. Which schools did you get accepted, deferred, and waitlisted from? Yeah. So, I applied early to
0: Yale. I got deferred and then ultimately rejected. Um, I got into Duke, Cornell. Rice and Boston College and my like and then UW and then I was waitlisted at Brown and Harvard and yeah yeah that was it I think um I might have been waitlisted at Northwestern I don't remember um yeah so yeah so that was what it came down to Um, and why did you choose Duke? Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't want to go to Cornell. (laughs) Um, uh, Uh, no, not because of that. Um, one is like, it's so far away. It's like from Seattle. It's like, you have to apply to JFK and then you transfer to like, Uh, like the Ithaca airport or you take like a four hour bus ride to get there and it's just really far away another thing was because like it's a very strong engineering school and I wanted to go to a liberal arts university um and also like retrospectively, like I think Duke was a great fit for me because we have such like a work hard, play hard environment. I mean, that that's not for everyone, but I think it's for me. Um, and that was something that I another thing is Cornell is so big. Um, it has like 14,000 students and Duke has 7,000. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just another thing. I, I just think Duke was a really great fit for me.
1: And with that, we come to the end of part one of my very thorough interview with Kate. If you enjoyed that, please subscribe so you know when part two comes out. Also, make sure to check out my blog, acollegekid.com. On there, I write various articles about various college topics. But other than that, I hope to see you in the next one.